The largest pest control company in the world is Rollins, Inc. Rollins has been very profitable, and its executives say the company is recession-proof. After all, cockroaches and rats aren't going away. At the start of 2017, Rollins seemed poised for more success. Its earnings had increased for 45 quarters in a row. That's more than 11 years, which is how long it takes to get a Ph.D., read War and Peace, or renew your driver's license. But not everything was as it seemed. Rollins was under investigation by the SEC. Its CFO was accused of manipulating reserves to boost profits. So when Rollins achieved its earnings target by just one penny, not once but twice, the SEC smelled a rat. I'm Michael McLaughlin, and this is Scheme. Let's do this. Rollins, Inc. didn't start out in the pest control business. The company was founded by John and Orville Rollins, two brothers from a small town in Georgia. John owned a car dealership, and his brother Orville was concerned that John was paying too much for advertising. So what did Orville do? He started a radio station to provide his brother with cheaper advertising. That's a really nice thing to do for a sibling. I mean, I really like ice cream, but I don't expect my sister to buy a Dairy Queen franchise just so I can get free Sundays. Orville's radio station was a success, and in February of 1948, the brothers put up $25,000 to start Rollins Broadcasting. In 1956, they expanded to TV. Before long, they owned 10 radio and 4 TV stations. John and Orville had built a profitable media business, but the company was about to change in a major way. In 1964, Rollins paid $62 million to acquire the Orkin Exterminating Company. Orkin had been founded in 1901 by Otto the Ratman Orkin. And you know anyone nicknamed the Ratman is going to have an interesting backstory. So here we go. Orkin started the business when he was just 14 years old. In his spare time, he had concocted a poison that was great at killing rats. Orkin's mom and dad wanted to be good parents and support their son. So naturally, they bought him a large batch of arsenic. Little Otto Orkin was thrilled and began selling rat poison door to door. Now, I've had kids show up at my house selling cookies, and I'm usually pretty friendly, but I don't know how I'd react if a teenage kid came around trying to sell me poison. But Orkin was successful, and he grew the company to 400 branches in 28 states. He had gone from being a Latvian immigrant with a third-grade education to having a personal net worth of $35 million. But sadly, this is where the story takes a dark turn. Orkin's kids seized control of his company and had him institutionalized for being mentally incompetent. Orkin responded by suing two of his sons, a daughter, and the doctor who declared him incompetent for $5 million, claiming they were just trying to get him out of the way so they could take his money. Orkin spent most of the next decade in court trying to prove that he was sane and regain access to his assets. With all their wealth tied up in litigation, Orkin and his wife applied for welfare in 1966. This fall from grace made the newspapers, and people started sending Orkin cash. In 1967, a court awarded him 4000 a month from his trust fund. But unfortunately, Orkin died the next year. I know. It seems like a story about a 14-year-old kid who sold poison door-to-door should have a happier ending. But let's get back to the Rollins Company. Rollins' acquisition of Orkin was one of the first leveraged buyouts in U.S. history, and it turned Rollins into a full-blown conglomerate. The company changed its name from Rollins Broadcasting to Rollins, Inc., and it expanded into other industries, oil and gas, security and alarms, even wallpaper. 
Rollins Inc. was a diversified service business, and it began trading on the New York Stock Exchange in 1968. John and Orville Rollins had come a long way. John even served as Lieutenant Governor of Delaware at one point, and there was a book written about the brothers' rags-to-riches story. Orville passed away in 1991 and John in 2000, but not before they helped Rollins Inc. transition to a new phase. The conglomerate business model was falling out of favor with investors, so Rollins spun off or sold most of its businesses in the 80s and 90s. The company would now focus on pest control, and this appeared to be a good decision. In the second quarter of 2017, Rollins announced its 45th consecutive quarter of increased revenues and profit. While that isn't as impressive as eating 45 consecutive hot dogs, it's still impressive. But there was a dark side to Rollins' success, and it was scuzzier than bedbugs in a roadside motel. When Paul Northen became CFO of Rollins, Inc. in 2015, a fellow Rollins executive let Northen in on a secret. By the way, this executive isn't named in the SEC documents, so I'll just call him Uncle Tito. Uncle Tito told Northen he could use reserve accounts as cookie jars to make sure Rollins met its earnings targets in difficult quarters. Here's how this works. If the company's having a great quarter, you over-accrue expenses for reserve liabilities. This will reduce profits a little bit, but it's not a big deal, as the company had a great quarter. But if the company is later on track for a bad quarter, you can do the opposite. Boost profits by under-accruing expenses for the reserve liabilities. This is called cookie jar accounting because you periodically reach into the reserve account like a cookie jar to boost profits as needed. Northen said Uncle Tito gave him a special spreadsheet that showed exactly how to boost earnings per share by one cent during the closing process by manipulating the reserve accounts. It was like receiving an instruction manual for how to commit fraud. But Uncle Tito didn't describe it that way. He told Northen this was, quote, the art of the close. Now you might be wondering, what are these reserve accounts? In short, the reserves are liabilities Rollins had to accrue for future costs. There was a medical reserve for amounts Rollins might have to pay for workers' compensation or employee medical claims. There was an outside services reserve for amounts Rollins might have to pay to contractors. And there was a termite reserve for amounts Rollins might have to pay for repairs or reapplication of chemicals if customers submitted damage claims. Rollins couldn't know how much these future costs would turn out to be, so each quarter it had to make an estimate. The higher the estimate, the higher the expense Rollins would need to accrue. Thus, determining the amount of the estimate was a big deal, and the person with final authority for doing that was the CFO, Paul Northen. According to the SEC, Northen learned in the first quarter of 2016 that Rollins's preliminary earnings per share fell just short of analyst consensus estimate. Analysts were expecting 15 cents a share, and Rollins was on track for 14 cents. Rather than disclose the bad news, Northen remembered what Uncle Tito had told him. He reduced the termite reserve by $1.3 million and also reduced the reserves for medical claims and outside services. This boosted earnings per share to $14.59 cents a share, which rounded up to $0.15. Cents. Rollins had hit the earnings target. Northam was probably pretty relieved. Uncle Tito's magic spreadsheet had worked. But Northam couldn't relax for long. A little more than a year later, he found himself in the same position. In the second quarter of 2017, Rollins was going to barely miss its profit target. It was on track for earnings per share of $0.24, cents, while analysts were expecting $0.25. Cents. The SEC said Northen again reduced the reserve accounts. This boosted earnings per share to $0.24.62, cents, which rounded up 
to 25 cents. Northen had done it again. Rollins met the earnings target. So you might be wondering how Northen got caught. After all, we're talking about a single penny per share. Well, normally no one would have noticed, but the SEC has a new earnings per share initiative. According to Gerber Graywall, director of the SEC's Division of Enforcement, this initiative, quote, uses data analytics to uncover hard-to-detect accounting and disclosure violations by public companies. Because of this program, the SEC noticed that Rollins met its earnings target not once but twice by rounding its earnings per share up to the next penny. The SEC conducted an investigation and found no support for the adjustments made to the reserve accounts in the first quarter of 2016 and the second quarter of 2017. Northam was busted. Now, just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with rounding up your earnings per share. The problem comes when you manipulate accounts to put yourself in the position to be able to round up. And Rollins isn't the only company to be accused of doing this. Researchers have found that companies are reluctant to report earnings per share just below the threshold for rounding up. This means a company would be highly unlikely to report earnings of, say, 9.4 cents per share. That's because just a tiny adjustment to the company's accounting would boost earnings to 9.5 cents per share, which would allow the company to round up to 10 cents per share. In fact, companies so rarely report earnings per share that end with 0.4 that there's even a name for it. Quadrophobia. So what happened to Rollins and its CFO, Northen? Well, both Northen and Rollins settled with the SEC, neither admitting nor denying guilt. Northen paid a $100,000 fine and lost his job. He now gives speeches to high school kids around the country where he talks about the dangers of quadrophobia. I'm just kidding, although I'm sure that would be a very engaging speech. As for Rollins, the company didn't have to restate its financials, but it did have to pay an $8 million fine. Rats. Oh, and if you're wondering where that money goes, I looked it up. It's paid to the, quote, General Fund of the United States Treasury. So how could this have been prevented? The SEC said the problem was weak internal controls. Northen had sole authority for determining the estimates for the reserve accounts. And while the company had a policy that said supporting documentation was required for any changes to the reserve accounts, the policy wasn't enforced. Thus, the CFO got to determine the amount of reserves during the closing process, when the CFO was well aware of any shortfalls regarding the earnings target. So clearly the internal controls were ineffective. But I think there are deeper issues here, such as the relentless pressure for public companies to meet or beat analyst forecasts, and executives' willingness to break the accounting rules to meet those targets. I mean, what does it say about the integrity of the financial reporting process if CFOs are willing to put their reputation and career on the line to increase earnings per share by just one cent? I don't know what it'll take to stop this. Stiffer penalties for fraud, a greater focus on ethics in business schools, or higher quality audits that make better use of data analytics to detect misstatements. But what's clear is this. I'm not going to run out of material for podcast episodes anytime soon, as accounting fraud, like the cockroach, doesn't appear to be going away. If you're wondering what happened to Rollins, it continues to be a profitable company. It has more than 2 million residential and commercial customers, and it reported a profit of more than $350 million for 2021. Unlike some firms that get in trouble with the SEC, Rollins wasn't a struggling company using accounting to mask poor business performance. Rollins was doing really well, and it simply fell shy of meeting its earnings target a couple of times. But rather than disclose some slightly bad news, someone thought, who's going to notice a single penny? 
I'm Michael McLaughlin, and you've been listening to Scheme.